Welcome to Safa Security Chat Chat, episode 112 for July 3rd, 2013. I'm Chester Wisniewski, this time coming to you from Quebec, Canada, and my guest is Paul Ducklin. Welcome back, Paul. Hello, Chester. Uh, I see that there's some new research that's kind of uh, interesting. I guess we're calling it keyjacking. It's almost like reverse clickjacking, and I know people have a really hard time getting their head around what you know clickjacking even means to begin with the idea is that you put some device a button or an image under the mouse so when the person clicks the mouse it clicks on that image uh, but you make the image completely invisible so that they actually see what's behind it rather than the image itself so they can be tricked into clicking on the wrong thing uh, and this keychecking idea is sort of the other way around you put a download dialog where the user would need to press, say, the R key to automatically run what they've just downloaded. And then you push that into the background. And in front of it, you have something that is actually visible, in this case, to the eye, but invisible to the keyboard because it doesn't have focus. So you now have a window that behind it has this hidden dialog that if only you press the letter R, will download and run something with your express permission. So all the attacker needs to do is to trick you into pressing the letter R. And the guy who wrote this article came up with a very clever way of doing that, but amazingly simple. Just put up a capture and make the first letter R, and the person will go, oh, fine, and hit the R button. And, of course, actually what's happened is the key is going through that visible window and into the one that's behind. Now, it doesn't work with all browsers. Firefox, for example, doesn't hide that dialogue behind another window. Um, but it does indicate that it is terribly difficult to get security right inside the browser when you have all these this weird user interface trickery where you can have the active window, but it's hidden behind another one. That seems to beg a belief. Or that you can have something you're going to click on, your mouse can see it, but your eyes can't. There just seems to be something wrong with that sort of user interface programming model that makes it absolutely ripe for this sort of attack. Yeah, and uh, you know, I guess my reaction was this reminds me a lot of uh, other UI type things that can be a bit odd on the internet. Uh, you know, one of the frequent techniques we see on malicious web pages is to include, say, a malicious flash object in an iframe that is conveniently zero pixels wide and zero pixels tall. And again, you know, to the computer, it's actually going to execute and run that code that's in this invisible box that you can't see. But meanwhile, uh, you know, the entire Adobe Reader is being loaded in the background and executing a malicious uh, document or Flash Player is being loaded and executing malicious Flash content. So this is really just uh, another manipulation of browser complexity. Unfortunately... Web programmers have found a practical use for this, almost as a kind of trick. So you can't now just say, oh, well, if you see a zero by zero iframe, it must be dodgy, because there are some genuine reasons why you might want to do that. The same with things that have an opacity of 0%, i.e. they're invisible. It's a great way of preloading images in JavaScript so you can have animated menus without having to go and fetch the image every time. You sort of cache it in memory and then just get the rendering engine to make it visible and invisible. Well, hopefully uh, browser manufacturers can figure out ways of trying to inform the user as to which element of the Chrome, as it's known. Now, people should keep in mind that's not referencing the brand name of Google's browser. Uh, the Chrome is the 
user interface elements displayed by the browser, such as the favorites button and the back button and the home button and all this kind of uh, decorations around the side of the page being displayed, but it also includes things like dialog boxes that uh, pop up and prompt you to download or run or cancel or OK and this type of stuff. So uh, maybe there's some uh, compromise somewhere in there as to methods to display things to a user so that they're making an informed choice. Both Opera and Facebook um, had some interesting I guess, what do you call it, a disclosure letter, Paul? Is that what we call it these days? DBNs. What is that? DBN, data breach notification. That's the pompous term I use. It means where you fess up either because you think you ought to, or because the law requires you, or because good PR says you ought to, or all of the above. Well, let's, let's look at the words here. Uh, I've got, at Opera Software, we are committed to the security and privacy of our users. That's an interesting way of explaining the fact that, in fact, you didn't take care of my data, isn't it? Yes, it's like when you call up a support line or something and you get that recorded message that says, Hello, your call is important to us, so important that we have placed it in a queue. And this queue is not being answered by a human. Eventually you may get through to another queue where you will be able to wait even longer. And you think, gosh, don't spend all the time to tell me how great things are when actually you're just softening me up to, to break bad news. And, I mean, Opera had the headline, Security Breach Stopped. In fact, what happened is the guys got in, did a whole load of dirty work, then got noticed, then Opera cleaned up. So, really, the headline should have been, Security Breach Not Stopped. Well, that's what I was thinking. If it said Security Breach Stopped, I went and looked at my firewall logs, and I had 863,000 connection attempts blocked yesterday. So did I stop 863,000 data breaches or like I'm a little confused. My understanding when you read more carefully is the crooks got in, made off with a code signing certificate, one or more, uh, signed some malware with it, and indeed it appears actually managed to get that malware onto Opera servers and we're not sure yet, it looks as though people using Opera may have got an automatic update that included this signed malware. I'm sorry, that doesn't sound like security breach stopped to me, and I just think that there, there could have been a lot more clarity in that data breach notification. Crooks got into our network, let us tell you what happened. Yeah, there, there's... It's not all bad, I guess, is one way to say it. And there have been, uh, unfortunately, a large quantity of these data breach notification letters, but many of them that we have talked about on the chat chat in the last six to nine months have been a little more straightforward and said things like, hey, we were compromised, hashes were stolen. In fact, here's how the hashes were stored so that those of us that are technical could evaluate and assess what the uh, amount of time or effort required to perhaps break those passwords might be, you know, there, there has been more openness in the last uh, year or two than we'd historically seen, but this kind of legalese and uh, we take your privacy so seriously that in fact all of your information was stolen is a little annoying. And I mean, I guess if this continues, we may need to, you know, in the U.S., many states have data breach notification laws requiring organizations to tell consumers, but the the requirement as to how you notify the user as to what happened is very vague in most of these laws. And I would hate to see it come down to 
us creating a, a form that says if you've had a data breach and you need to notify your users, here are the, the blanks you need to fill in and send it out so that we can stop you from being manipulative in your wording. To be fair to Facebook in this case, they did congratulate the person for doing a responsible disclosure. They did give him their bug bounty, so well done for them for having one. They did fix the problem, it seems. But you're right, it, sometimes less is an awful lot more. Now, while we're talking about truth, um, you know, you and I have spent countless hours uh, speaking both on the podcast and to the public about Wi-Fi security and the inherent dangers of using older, weak cryptographic choices like WEP. This is to do with Apple, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, our, our friends in Cupertino uh, have been picked on, you might say, depending on which side of the apple orchard you're on, as to the method for setting up a, an access point, I guess a, a, a temporary hotspot using your iOS devices. And it, it uses a dictionary-based approach that results in uh, 8 to 10 character passwords, which doesn't sound terrible on the surface as far as a Wi-Fi access point uh, security code goes. Yes, you're right. The idea is that it, it's meant to be something that, that you can speak out and the other person will probably spell correctly because it's a real word. And then some digits to add the complexity because everyone knows you have to mix up your passwords a bit. Yeah, and I mean, the stories uh, that I've been reading suggest that the passcodes are crackable in less than one minute. Uh, not only that, but crackable in less than one minute using a mobile device. I assume this is a standard, uh, you know, ARM-based iPhone or Android device. So, Hang on, that's not correct. Okay. To do it in 50 seconds, you do need a medium-sized Bitcoin mining type rig, something with multiple graphics cards. However... You don't need to have that with a giant battery and a huge tote bag under the table at the coffee shop. All you need to do is sniff the WPA or WPA2 handshake packets when they associate with the hotspot, then record their traffic, and then you can go and crack it offline later. So you can't just do it on an ARM-based device, but you don't need an NSA quantity of computing power to be able to do it in less than a minute. Uh, and the reason is that although the, the the passcodes are going to be dictionary words of up to six characters plus four digits appended to each, uh, less than 2,000 dictionary words are actually chosen in total. The way they do it is they generate a random string of characters. They then use the spelling checker to say, give me a word that's close to this that's pronounceable. But of course that doesn't give random results. It's very, very skewed. So not only have you taken your six characters, uh, which could give you 26 to the power six combinations, and reduced it to the length of your dictionary, you've actually reduced it to a fraction of the length of the dictionary, because you're just not doing randomness properly. How, how does this compare to other solutions that, that you know, also create these things for you rather than asking you to, to pick one? We got hammered on naked security. People say, oh, well, you're picking on Apple because Windows 8 only uses eight digits, and that's even worse. Because Apple, Apple is using a minimum of eight characters, and that includes letters as well as digits. The irony is that the key space in Apple's choice, even with the apparent extra complexity, is actually about 20% of the eight-digit version in Windows 8. 
to my mind, that is sort of indicative of a problem one has in cryptography, in that things can look complicated, but actually be very, very much more simple than you think. In this case, when you actually do the research like these guys in Germany did, you find out that Apple's complexity is actually illusory. And it may sound far-fetched, well, who would sniff your stuff at a coffee shop and then go off and crack it later? The point is, it isn't that far-fetched. Yeah, I, I mean, this, these, these supposedly far-fetched things actually happen all the time. And while uh, people go, well, I live in a small community or this, that, and the other thing, it happens everywhere. It's very similar in my mind to the, uh, you know, no small business is too small to be hacked or compromised or have their money stolen from them. I mean, the whole it can't happen to me thing, when it's electronic, and especially when we're talking about things that you're sending through the airwaves, uh, where anybody with a, a, a nice uh, long-range antenna might be able to pick it up from God knows where. Uh, it is applying to everyone. This isn't a, a fantasy or a delusion. You do need to be serious about it. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? But the problem with targeted attacks is that they're so easy to do generically. <laughs> and that sounds like a contradiction, but it isn't. Absolutely. That concludes Software Security Chat Chat 112. Uh, as always, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available at podcasts.sophos.com. Uh, they're on iTunes, and you can get them via our, our RSS feed, perhaps if you need somebody to type the letter R. Uh, and until next time, stay secure.